Chapter 9 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 4, Part 2, Urban Grandier by Alexandre Dumas. Translated by George Burnham Ives. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 For four months, Grandier languished in prison, and according to the report of Michelon, commandant of Angers, and of Pierre Bachet, his confessor, he was during the whole period a model of patience and firmness passing his days in reading good books or in writing prayers and meditations, which were afterwards produced at his trial. Meanwhile, in spite of the urgent appeals of Jeanne Estaille, mother of the accused, who, although seventy years of age, seemed to recover her youthful strength and activity in the desire to save her son, La Bardemont continued the examination, which was finished on April 4th. Urbain was then brought back from Angers de Laudon. An extraordinary cell had been prepared for him in a house belonging to Mignon, and which had formerly been occupied by a sergeant named Bontem, once clerk to Trinquant, who had been a witness for the prosecution in the first trial. It was on the topmost story. The windows had been walled up, leaving only one small slit open, and even this opening was secured by enormous iron bars, and by an exaggeration of caution the mouth of the fireplace was furnished with a grating lest the devil should arrive through the chimney to free the sorcerer from his chains. Furthermore, two holes in the corners of the room, so formed that they were unnoticeable from within, allowed a constant watch to be kept over Grandier's movements by Bontem's wife, a precaution by which they hoped to learn something that would help them in the coming exorcisms. In this room, lying on a little straw and almost without light, Grandier wrote the following letter to his mother. My mother. I received your letter and everything you sent me except the woolen stockings. I endure any affliction with patience, and feel more pity for you than for myself. I am very much inconvenienced for want of a bed. Try and have mine brought to me, for my mind will give way if my body has no rest. If you can, send me a breviary, a Bible, and a St. Thomas for my consolation, and above all, do not grieve for me. I trust that God will bring my innocence to light. Commend me to my brother and sister, and all our good friends. I am, mother, your dutiful son and servant, Grandier. While Grandier had been in prison at Angers, the case of possession at the convent had miraculously multiplied, for it was no longer only the superior and sister Claire who had fallen a prey to the evil spirits, but also several other sisters who were divided into three groups as follows, and separated. The superior, with sisters Louise de Ange, and Anne de St. Agnes were sent to the house of Sieur de la Ville, advocate, legal adviser to the sisterhood. Sisters Claire and Catherine de la Presentation were placed in the house of Canon Morat. Sisters Elisabeth de Lacroix, Monique de St. Marthe, Jean de Saint-Esprit, and Seraphique Archer were in a third house. A general supervision was undertaken by Maman's sister, the wife of Mousson, who was thus closely connected with two of the greatest enemies of the accused, and to her Bontem's wife told all that the superior needed to know about Grandier. Such was the manner of the sequestration. The choice of physicians was no less extraordinary. Instead of calling in the most skilled practitioners of Angers, Tours, Poitiers, or Saumur, all of them except Daniel Roger of Laudon, came from the surrounding villages and were men of no education. One of them, indeed, had failed to obtain either degree or license, and had been obliged to leave Saumur in consequence. Another had been employed in a small shop to take goods home, a position he had exchanged for the more lucrative one of quack. There was just as little sense of fairness and propriety shown in the choice of the apothecary and surgeon. The apothecary, whose name was Adam, was Mignon's first cousin, 
and had been one of the witnesses for the prosecution at Grandier's first trial, and as on that occasion he had libelled a young girl of Laudon, he had been sentenced by a decree of Parliament to make a public apology. And yet, though his hatred for Grandier in consequence of this humiliation was so well known, perhaps for that very reason, it was to him the duty of dispensing and administering the prescriptions was entrusted, no one supervising the work even so far as to see that the proper doses were given, or taking note whether for sedatives he did not sometimes substitute stimulating and exciting drugs, capable of producing real convulsions. The surgeon, Manori, was still more unsuitable, for he was a nephew of Maman de Silly, and a brother of the nun who had offered the most determined opposition to Grandier's demand for a sequestration of the possessed sisters, during the second series of exorcisms. In vain did the mother and brother of the accused present petitions setting forth the incapacity of the doctors and the hatred of Grandier professed by the apothecary. They could not, even at their own expense, obtain certified copies of any of these petitions. Although they had witnesses ready to prove that Adam had once in his ignorance dispensed crocus metallorum for crocus mantis, a mistake which had caused the death of the patient for whom the prescription was made up. In short, so determined were the conspirators that this time Grandier should be done to death, that they had not even the decency to conceal the infamous methods by which they had arranged to attain this result. The examination was carried on with vigor. As one of the first formalities would be the identification of the accused, Grandier published a memorial in which he recalled the case of St. Anastasius at the Council of Tyre, who had been accused of immorality by a fallen woman whom he had never seen before. When this woman entered the Hall of Justice in order to swear to her deposition, a priest named Timothy went up to her and began to talk to her as if he were Anastasius. Falling into the trap, she answered as if she recognized him, and thus the innocence of the saint was shown forth. Grandier, therefore, demanded that two or three persons of his own height and complexion should be dressed exactly like himself, and with him should be allowed to confront the nuns. As he had never seen any of them, and was almost certain they had never seen him, they would not be able, he felt sure, to point him out with certainty, in spite of the allegations of undue intimacy with themselves they brought against him. This demand showed such conscious innocence that it was embarrassing to answer, so no notice was taken of it. Meanwhile, the Bishop of Poitiers, who felt much elated at getting the better of the Archbishop of Bordeaux, who of course was powerless against an order issued by the Cardinal Duke, took exception to Père Lascaille and Père Gau, the exorcists appointed by his superior, and named instead his own chaplain, who had been judge at Grandier's first trial and had passed sentence on him, and Père Lactance, a Franciscan monk. These two, making no secret of the side which they sympathized, put up on their arrival at Nicolas Mossens, one of the Grandier's most bitter enemies, on the following day they went to the superior's apartments and began their exorcisms. The first time the superior opened her lips to reply, Père Lactance perceived that she knew almost no Latin, and consequently would not shine during the exorcism. So he ordered her to answer in French, although he still continued to exorcise her in Latin, and when someone was bold enough to object, saying that the devil according to the ritual knew all languages living and dead, and ought to reply in the same language in which he was addressed, the father declared that the incongruity was caused by the pact and that, moreover, some devils were more ignorant than peasants. Following these exorcists and two Carmelite monks named Pierre de Saint-Thomas and Pierre de Saint-Matorin, who had from the very beginning pushed their way in when anything was going on, came four capuchins sent by Père Joseph, head of the Franciscans, his great eminence as he was called, and whose names were Père Luc, Tranquille, Potay, and Elysée. 
so that a much more rapid advance could be made than hitherto by carrying on the exorcisms in four different places at once, vis-à-vis -vis in the convent and in the churches of Saint-Croix, Saint-Pierre de Martreuil, and Notre-Dame de Chateau. Very little of importance took place, however, on the first two occasions, the 15th and 16th of April, for the declarations of the doctors were most vague and indefinite, merely saying that the things they had seen were supernatural, surpassing their knowledge and the rules of medicine. The ceremony of the 23rd April presented, however, some points of interest. The superior, in reply to the interrogations of Père Lactance, stated that the demon had entered her body under the forms of a cat, a dog, a stag, and a buck-goat. Quotis? How often, inquired the exorcist. I didn't notice the day, replied the superior, mistaking the word quotis for quando or when. It was probably to revenge herself for this error that the superior declared the same day that Grandier had on his body five marks made by the devil, and that though his body was else insensible to pain, he was vulnerable at those spots. Minori, the surgeon, was therefore ordered to verify this assertion, and the day appointed for the verification was the 26th. In virtue of this mandate, Manori presented himself early on that day at Grandier's prison, caused him to be stripped naked and cleanly shaven, then ordered him to be laid on a table and his eyes bandaged. But the devil was wrong again. Grandier had only two marks instead of five, one on the shoulder blade and the other on the thigh. Then took place one of the most abominable performances that can be imagined. Minori held in his hand a probe with a hollow handle, into which the needle slipped when a spring was touched. When Minori applied the probe to those parts of Grandier's body which, according to the superior, were insensible, he touched the spring, and the needle, while seemingly to bury itself in the flesh, really retreated into the handle, thus causing no pain. But when he touched one of the marks, said to be vulnerable, he left the needle fixed, and drove it into the depth of several inches. The first time he did this, it drew from poor Grandier, who was taken unprepared, such a piercing cry that it was heard in the street by the crowd which had gathered round the door. From the mark on the shoulder-blade with which he had commenced, Minori passed to that on the thigh. But though he plunged the needle into its full depth, Grandier uttered neither cry nor groan, but went on quietly repeating a prayer, and notwithstanding that Minori stabbed him twice more through each of the two marks, he could draw nothing from his victim but prayers for his tormentors. Monsieur de la Bonnemont was present at this scene. The next day the devil was addressed in such forcible terms that an acknowledgment was wrung from him that Grandier's body bore not five but two marks only, and also, to the vast admiration of the spectators, he was able this time to indicate their precise situation. Unfortunately for the demon, a joke in which he indulged on this occasion detracted from the effect of the above proof of cleverness. Having been asked why he had refused to speak on the preceding Saturday, he said he had not been at Laudon on that day, as the whole morning he had been occupied in accompanying the soul of a certain Le Proust, attorney to the Parliament of Paris to hell. This answer awoke such doubts in the breasts of some of the laymen present that they took the trouble to examine the register of deaths, and found that no one of the name of Le Proust, belonging to any profession whatever, had died on that date. This discovery rendered the devil less terrible, and perhaps less amusing. Meantime, the progress of the other exorcisms met with like interruptions. Père Pierre de Saint-Thomas, who had conducted the operations in the Carmelite church, asked one of the possessed sisters where Grandier's books of magic were. She replied that they were kept at the house of a certain young girl, whose name she gave, and who was the same to whom Adam had been forced to apologize. 
de laubardemont mousson herve and minau hastened at once to the house indicated searched the rooms and the presses opened the chests and the wardrobes and all the secret places in the house but in vain on their return to the church they reproached the devil for having deceived them but he explained that a niece of the young woman had removed the books upon this they hurried to the niece's dwelling but unluckily she was not at home having spent the whole day at a certain church making her devotions and when they went thither the priests and attendants averred that she had not gone out all day so notwithstanding the desire of the exorcist to oblige adam they were forced to let the matter drop these two false statements increased the number of unbelievers but it was announced that a most interesting performance would take place on may fourth indeed the programme when issued was varied enough to arouse general curiosity asmodeus was to raise the superior two feet from the ground and the fiends azas and cerberus in emulation of their leader would do as much for two other nuns while a fourth devil named beharet would go farther still and greatly daring would attack monsieur de laubardemont himself and having spirited his counsellor's cap from his head would hold it suspended in the air of for the space of a misere furthermore the exorcists announced that six of the strongest men in the town would try to prevent the contortions of the weakest of the convulsed nuns and would fail it need hardly be said that the prospect of such an entertainment filled the church on the appointed day to overflowing pere lactance began by calling on asmodeus to fulfil his promise of raising the superior from the ground she began hereupon to perform various evolutions on her mattress and at one moment it seemed as if she were really suspended in the air but one of the spectators lifted her dress and showed that she was only standing on tiptoe which though it might be clever was not miraculous shouts of laughter rent the air which had such an intimidating effect on azos and cerberus that not all the adjurations of the exorcists could extract the slightest response beharit was their last hope and he replied that he was prepared to lift up monsieur de lombardemont's cap and would do so before the expiration of a quarter of an hour we must here remark that this time the exorcisms took place in the evening instead of in the morning as hitherto and it was now growing dark and darkness is favorable to illusions several of the unbelieving ones present therefore began to call attention to the fact that the quarter of an hour's delay would necessitate the employment of artificial light during the next scene they also noticed that monsieur de la Baudemont had seated himself apart and immediately beneath one of the arches in the vaulted roof through which a hole had been drilled for the passage of the bell rope they therefore slipped out of the church and up into the belfry where they hid in a few moments a man appeared who began to work at something they sprang on him and seized his wrists and found in one of his hands a thin line of horsehair to one end of which a hook was attached the holder being frightened dropped the line and fled and although monsieur de laubardemont the exorcists and the spectators waited expecting every moment that the cap would rise into the air it remained quite firm on the owner's head to the no small confusion of pere lactance who all unwitting of the fiasco had continued to abjure beharet to keep his word of course without the least effect altogether this performance of may fourth went anything but smoothly till now no trick had succeeded never before had the demons been such bunglers but the exorcists were sure that the last trick would go off without a hitch this was that a nun held by six men chosen for their strength would succeed in extricating herself from their grasp despite their utmost efforts two carmelites and two capuchins went through the audience and selected six giants from among the porters and messengers of the town 
This time the devil answered expectations by showing that if he was not clever he was strong, for although the six men tried to hold her down upon her mattress, the superior was seized with such terrible convulsions that she escaped from their hands, throwing down one of those who tried to detain her. This experiment, thrice renewed, succeeded thrice, and belief seemed about to return to the assembly, when a physician of Saumur named Duncan, suspecting trickery, entered the choir, and, ordering the six men to retire, said he was going to try and hold the superior down unaided, and if she escaped from his hands he would make a public apology for his unbelief. Monsieur de Laubardemont tried to prevent this test by objecting to Duncan as an atheist. But as Duncan was greatly respected on account of his skill and probity, there was such an outcry at this interference from the entire audience that the commissioner was forced to let him have his way. The six porters were therefore dismissed, but instead of resuming their places among the spectators, they left the church by the sacristy, while Duncan, approaching the bed on which the superior had again lain down, seized her by the wrist, and making certain that he had a firm hold, he told the exorcist to begin. Never up to that time had it been so clearly shown that the conflict going on was between public opinion and the private aims of a few. A hush fell on the church. Everyone stood motionless in silent expectancy. The moment Père Lactance uttered the sacred words, the convulsions of the superior recommenced, but it seemed as if Duncan had more strength than his six predecessors together. For twist and writhe and struggle as she would, the superior's wrist remained none the less firmly clasped in Duncan's hand. At length she fell back on her bed exhausted, exclaiming, "'It is no use! It's no use! He's holding me!' "'Release her arm!' shouted Père Lactance in a rage. "'How can the convulsions take place if you hold her that way?' "'If she is really possessed by a demon,' answered Duncan aloud, "'he should be stronger than I, for it is stated in the ritual that among the symptoms of possession is strength, beyond one's years, beyond one's condition, and beyond what is natural.' "'That is badly argued,' said Lactant sharply. "'A demon outside the body is indeed stronger than you, "'but when enclosed in a weak frame such as this "'it cannot show such strength, "'for its efforts are proportioned to the strength "'of the body it possesses.' "'Enough,' said Monsieur de Laubardemont. "'We did not come here to argue with philosophers, "'but to build up the faith of Christians.' "'With that he rose up from his chair amidst a terrible uproar, "'and the assembly dispersed in the utmost disorder, "'as if they were leaving a theatre rather than a church. "'The ill success of this exhibition "'caused a cessation of events of interest for some days. "'The result was that a great number of noblemen "'and other people of quality who had come to Laudon "'expecting to see wonders, "'and had been shown only commonplace transparent tricks, "'began to think it was not worth while remaining any longer "'and went their several ways.' a defection much bewailed by Père Tranquille in a little work which he published on this affair. Many, he says, came to see miracles at Lauton, but finding the devils did not give them the signs they expected, they went away dissatisfied and swelled the numbers of the unbelieving. It was determined, therefore, in order to keep the town full, to predict some great event which would revive curiosity and increase faith. Père Lactance, therefore, announced that on the 20th of May, three of the seven devils dwelling in the superior would come out, leaving three wounds in her left side, which corresponding holes in her chemise, bodice, and dress. The three parting devils were Asmodeus, Grezel de Tron, and Amand de Puissance. He added that the superior's hands would be bound behind her back at the time the wounds were given. On the appointed day, the church of St. Croix was filled to overflowing with sightseers, curious to know if the devils would keep their promises better this time than the last. 
Physicians were invited to examine the superior's side and her clothes, and amongst those who came forward was Duncan, whose presence guaranteed the public against deception. But none of the exorcists ventured to exclude him, despite the hatred in which they held him, a hatred which they would have made him feel if he had not been under the special protection of Marshal Brez. The physicians, having completed their examination, gave the following certificate. We have found no wound in the patient's side, no rent in her vestments, and our search revealed no sharp instrument hidden in the folds of her dress. These preliminaries, having been got through, Père Lactance questioned her in French for nearly two hours, her answers being in the same language. Then he passed from questions to adjurations. On this, Duncan came forward and said a promise had been given that the superior's hands should be tied behind her back, in order that there might be no room for suspicion of fraud, and that the moment had now arrived to keep that promise. Père Lactance admitted the justice of the demand, but said, as there were many present who had never seen the superior in convulsions such as afflicted the possessed, it would be only fair that she should be exercised for their satisfaction before binding her. Accordingly, he began to repeat the form of exorcism, and the superior was immediately attacked by frightful convulsions, which in a few minutes produced complete exhaustion, so that she fell on her face to the ground, and, turning on her left arm and side, remained motionless some instants, after which she uttered a low cry, followed by a groan. The physicians approached her, and Duncan, seeing her take away her hand from her left side, seized her arm and found that the tips of her fingers were stained with blood. They then examined her clothing and body, and found her dress, bodice, and chemise cut through in three places, the cuts being less than an inch long. There were also three scratches beneath the left breast, so slight as to be scarcely more than skin deep, the middle one being a barleycorn in length. Still, from all three a sufficient quantity of blood had oozed to stain the chemise above them. This time the fraud was so glaring that even de Larbardemont exhibited some signs of confusion because of the number and quality of the spectators. He would not, however, allow the doctors to include in their report their opinion as to the manner in which the wounds were inflicted, but Grandier protested against this in a statement of facts which he drew up during the night and which was distributed next day. It was as follows. That if the superior had not groaned, the physicians would not have removed her clothes and would have suffered her to be bound without having the least idea that the wounds were already made that then the exorcists would have commanded the devils to come forth leaving the traces they had promised that the superior would then have gone through the most extraordinary contortions of which she was capable and have had a long fit of convulsions at the end of which she would have been delivered from the three demons and the wounds would have been found in her body that her groans which had betrayed her had by god's will thwarted the best laid plans of men's and devils why do you suppose he went on to ask that clean incised wounds such as a sharp blade would make were chosen for a token seeing that the wounds left by devils resemble burns was it not because it was easier for the superior to conceal a lancet with which to wound herself slightly than to conceal any instrument sufficiently heated to burn her why do you think the left side was chosen rather than the forehead and nose if not because she could not give herself a wound in either of those places without being seen by all the spectators why was the left side rather than the right chosen if it were not that it was easier for the superior to wound herself with her right hand which she habitually used in the left side than in the right why did she turn on her left side and arm and remain so long in that position if it were not to hide from the bystanders the instrument with which she wounded herself what do you think caused her to groan in spite of all her resolution if it were not the pain of the wound she gave herself for the most courageous cannot repress a shudder when the surgeon opens a vein. 
why were her fingertips stained with blood if it were not that the secreted blade was so small that the fingers which held it could not escape being reddened by the blood it caused to flow how came it that the wounds were so superficial that they barely went deeper than the cuticle while devils are known to rend and tear demoniacs when leaving them if it were not that the superior did not hate herself enough to inflict deep and dangerous wounds despite this logical protest from grandier and the barefaced knavery of the exorcist monsieur de laubardemont prepared a report of the expulsion of the three devils asmodeus grazil and amon from the body of sister jeanne des anges through three wounds below the region of the heart a report which was afterwards shamelessly used against grandier and of which the memorandum still exists a monument not so much of credulity and superstition as of hatred and revenge pere lactance in order to allay the suspicions which the pretended miracle had aroused among the eyewitnesses asked belam one of the four demons who still remained in the superior's body the following day why asmodeus and his two companions had gone out against their promise while the superior's face and hands were hidden from the people to lengthen the incredulity of certain people answered belam as for pere tranquille he published a little volume describing the whole affair in which with the irresponsible frivolity of a true capuchin he poked fun at those who could not swallow the miracles wholesome they had every reason to feel vexed he said at the small courtesy or civility shown by the demons to persons of their merit and station but if they had examined their consciences perhaps they would have found the real reason of their discontent and turning their anger against themselves would have done penance for having come to the exorcisms led by a depraved moral sense and a prying spirit nothing remarkable happened from the twentieth may till the thirteenth june a day which became noteworthy by reason of the superiors vomiting a quill a finger long it was doubtless this last miracle which brought the bishop of poitiers to Laudon, not as he said to those who came to pay their respects to him to examine into the genuineness of the possession but to force those to believe who still doubted and to discover the classes which urbain had founded to teach the black art to pupils of both sexes thereupon the opinion began to prevail among the people that it would be prudent to believe in the possession since the king the cardinal duke and the bishop believed in it and that continued doubt would lay them open to the charges of disloyalty to their king and their church and of complicity in the crimes of grandier and thus draw upon them the ruthless punishment of la Bardemont. the reason we feel so certain that our work is pleasing to god is that it is also pleasing to the king wrote pere lactance the arrival of the bishop was followed by a new exorcism and of this an eyewitness who was a good catholic and a firm believer in possession has left us a written description more interesting than any we could give we shall present it to our readers word for word as it stands on friday twenty third june sixteen thirty four on the eve of st john about three p m the lord bishop of poitiers and monsieur de la Bonnemont, being present in the church of st croix of laudon to continue the exorcisms of the ursuline nuns by order of monsieur de la Bardemont, commissioner urbain grandier priest in charge accused and denounced as a magician by the said possessed nuns was brought from his prison to the said church they were produced by the said commissioner to the said urbain grandier four packs mentioned several times by the said possessed nuns at the preceding exorcisms which the devils who possessed the nuns declared they had made with the said grandier on several occasions there was one in especial which leviathan gave up on saturday the seventeenth 
composed of an infant's heart procured at a witch's sabbath held in orleans in 1631 the ashes of a consecrated wafer blood etc of the said grandier whereby leviathan asserted he had entered the body of the sister jean des anges the superior of the said nuns and took possession of her with his coadjutors beharit azas and balam on december eighth sixteen thirty two another such pact was composed of the pips of granada oranges and was given up by asmodeus and a number of other devils it had been made to hinder Beharit from keeping his promise to lift the commissioner's hat two inches from his head and to hold it there the length of a miserere, as a sign that he had come out of the nun. On all these packs being shown to the said Grandier, he said without astonishment, but with much firmness and resolution, that he had no knowledge of them whatever, that he had never made them and had not the skill by which to make them, that he had held no communication with devils and knew nothing of what they were talking about a report of all this being made and shown to him he signed it this done they brought all the possessed nuns to the number of eleven or twelve including three lay sisters also possessed into the choir of the said church accompanied by a great many monks carmelites capuchins and franciscans and by three physicians and a surgeon the sisters on entering made some wanton remarks calling grandier their master and exhibiting great delight at seeing him Thereupon, Père Lactance and Gabriel, a Franciscan brother, and one of the exorcists exhorted all present with great fervor to lift up their hearts to God, and to make an act of contrition for the offenses committed against his divine majesty, and to pray that the number of their sins might not be an obstacle to the fulfillment of their plans which he, in his providence, had formed for the promotion of his glory on that occasion, and to give outward proof of their heartfelt grief by repeating the confiteor as a preparation for the blessing of the Lord Bishop of Poitiers this having been done he went on to say that the matter in question was of such moment and such important in its relation to the great truths of the roman catholic church that this consideration alone ought to be sufficient to excite their devotion and furthermore that the affliction of these poor sisters was so peculiar and had lasted so long that charity impelled all those who had the right to work for their deliverance and the expulsion of the devils to employ the power entrusted to them with their office in accomplishing so worthy a task by the forms of exorcism prescribed by the church to its ministers then addressing grandier he said that he having been anointed as a priest belonging to this number and that he ought to help with all his power and with all his energy if the bishop were pleased to allow him to do so and to remit his suspension from authority the bishop having granted permission the franciscan friar offered a stole to grantier who turning toward the prelate asked him if he might take it on receiving a reply in the affirmative he passed it round his neck and on being offered a copy of the ritual he asked permission to accept it as before and received the bishop's blessing prostrating himself at his feet to kiss them whereupon the veni creator spiritus having been sung he rose and addressing the bishop asked my lord who am i to exercise the said bishop having replied these maidens grandier asked again what maidens the possessed maidens was the answer that is to say my lord said he that i am obliged to believe in the fact of possession the church believes in it therefore i too believe but i cannot believe that a sorcerer can cause a christian to be possessed unless the christian consent upon this some of those present exclaimed that it was heretical to profess such a belief that the contrary was indubitable believed by the whole church and approved by the sorbonne to which he replied that his mind on that point was not yet irrevocably made up 
that what he had said was simply his own idea, and that in any case he submitted to the opinion of the whole body of which he was only a member, that nobody was declared a heretic for having doubts, but only for persisting in them, and that what he had advocated was only for the purpose of drawing an assurance from the bishop that in doing what he was about to do he would not be abusing the authority of the church. Sister Catherine, having been brought to him by the Franciscan, as the most ignorant of all the nuns and the least open to the suspicion of being acquainted with Latin, he began the exorcism in the form prescribed by the ritual. But as soon as he began to question her he was interrupted, for all the other nuns were attacked by devils, and uttered strange and terrible noises. Amongst the rest Sister Clare came near, and reproached him for his blindness and obstinacy so that he was forced to leave the nun with whom he had begun and address his words to the said Sister Clare, who during the entire duration of the exorcism continued to talk at random without paying any heed to Grandier's words, which were also interrupted by the Mother Superior, to whom he at last gave attention, leaving Sister Clare. But it is to be noted that before beginning to exorcise the Superior, he said, speaking in Latin as heretofore, that knowing she understood Latin he would question her in Greek to which the devil replied by the mouth of the possessed ah how clever you are you know it was one of the first conditions of our pact that i was not to answer in greek upon this he cried ol pulchra illusio egregica evasio o superb fraud outrageous evasion he was then told that he was permitted to exercise in greek provided he first wrote down what he wished to say, and the superior hereupon said that he should be answered in what language he pleased. But it was impossible, for as soon as he opened his mouth, all the nuns recommenced their shrieks and paroxysms, showing unexampled despair and giving way to convulsions, which in each patient assumed a new form, and persisting in accusing Grandier of using magic and the black art to torment them, offering to wring his neck if they were allowed, and trying to outrage his feelings in every possible way. But this being against the prohibitions of the church, the priests and monks present worked with the utmost zeal to calm the frenzy which had seized on the nuns. Grandier, meanwhile, remained calm and unmoved, gazing fixedly at the maniacs, protesting his innocence and praying to God for protection. Then, addressing himself to the bishop and Monsieur de la Bardemont, he implored them by the ecclesiastical and royal authority, of which they were the ministers to command, these demons to wring his neck or at least to put a mark on his forehead if he were guilty of the crime of which they accused him, that the glory of God might be shown forth, the authority of the church vindicated, and himself brought to confusion, provided that the nuns did not touch him with their hands. But this the bishop and the commissioner would not consent, because they did not want to be responsible for what might happen to him. Neither would they expose the authority of the church to the wiles of the devils, who might have made some pact on that point with Grandier. Then the exorcists, to the number of eight, having commanded the devils to be silent and to cease their tumult, ordered a brazier to be brought, and into this they threw the packs one by one, whereupon the convulsions returned with such awful violence and confused cries, rising into frenzied shrieks and accompanied by such horrible contortions, that the scene might have been taken for an orgy of witches, were it not for the sanctity of the place and the character of those present, of whom Grandier, and outward seeming at least, was the least amazed of any although he had the most reason. The devils continued their accusations, citing the places, the days, and the hours of their intercourse with him, the first spell he cast on them, his scandalous behavior, his insensibility, his abjurations of God and the faith. To all this he calmly returned that these accusations were calumnies, and all the more unjust considering his profession, 
that he renounced Satan and all his fiends, having neither knowledge nor comprehension of them, that in spite of all he was a Christian, and what was more an anointed priest, that though he knew himself to be a sinful man, yet his trust was in God and in his Christ, that he had never indulged in such abominations, and that it would be impossible to furnish any pertinent and convincing proof of his guilt. At this point no words could express what the senses perceived. Eyes and ears received an impression of being surrounded by furies, such as never been gathered together before. And unless accustomed to such ghastly scenes as those who sacrificed the demons, no one could keep his mind free from astonishment and horror in the midst of such a spectacle. Grandier alone remained unchanged through it all, seemingly insensible to the monstrous exhibitions, singing hymns to the Lord with the rest of the people, as confident as if he were guarded by legions of angels. One of the demons cried out that Beelzebub was standing between him and Père Tranquille the Capuchin, upon which Grandier said to the demon, Amutescas, hold thy peace. Upon this the demon began to curse, and said that was their watchword. But they could not hold their peace, because God was infinitely powerful, and the powers of hell could not prevail against him. Thereupon they all struggled to get at Grandier, threatening to tear him limb from limb, to point out his marks, to strangle him although he was their master, whereupon he seized a chance to say he was neither their master nor their servant, and that it was incredible that they should in the same breath acknowledge him for their master and express a desire to strangle him. On hearing this, the frenzy of the nuns reached its height, and they kicked their slippers into his face. "'Just look,' said he, "'the shoes drop from the hoofs of their own accord.' At length, had it not been for the help and interposition of people in the choir, the nuns in their frenzy would have taken the life of the chief personage in this, in this spectacle, so there was no choice but to take him away from the church and the furies who threatened his life. He was therefore brought back to prison about six o'clock in the evening, and the rest of the day the exorcists were employed in calming the poor sisters, a task of no small difficulty. Everyone did not regard the possessed sisters with the indulgent eye of the author of the above narrative, and many saw in this terrible exhibition of hysteria and convulsions an infamous and sacrilegious orgy, at which revenge ran riot. There was such difference of opinion about it that it was considered necessary to publish the following proclamation by means of placards on July 2nd. All persons of whatever rank or profession are hereby expressly forbidden to traduce or in any way malign the nuns and other persons at Laudon possessed by evil spirits, or their exorcists, or those who accompany them either to the places appointed for exorcism or elsewhere, in any form or manner whatever, on pain of a fine of ten thousand livres, or a larger sum and corporal punishment should the case so require, and in order that no one may plead ignorance hereof, this proclamation will be read and published to-day from the pulpits of all the churches, and copies affixed to the church doors and in other suitable public places. Done at Laudon, July 2nd, 1634. This order had great influence with worldly folk, and from that moment, whether their belief was strengthened or not, they no longer dared to express any incredulity. But in spite of that, the judges were put to shame, for the nuns themselves began to repent, and on the following day, the impious scene above described, just as Père Lactance began to exorcise Sister Claire in the castle chapel, she rose, and turning towards the congregation while tears ran down her cheeks, said in a voice that could be heard by all present that she was going to speak the truth at last in the sight of heaven. Thereupon she confessed that all that she had said during the last fortnight against Grandier was calumnious and false, and that all her actions had been done at the instigation of the Franciscan Père Lactance, 
the director Mignon, and the Carmelite brothers. Père Lactance, not in the least taken aback, declared that her confession was a fresh wile of the devil to save her master, Grandier. She then made an urgent appeal to the bishop and to Monsieur de la Bardemont, asking to be sequestered and placed in charge of other priests than those who had destroyed her soul by making her bear false witness against an innocent man. But they only laughed at the pranks the devil was playing and ordered her to be at once taken back to the house in which she was then living. When she heard this order, she darted out of the choir, trying to escape through the church door, imploring those present to come to her assistance and save her from everlasting damnation. But such terrible fruit had the proclamation borne that no one dared respond. So she was recaptured and taken back to the house in which she was sequestered, never to leave it again. End of chapter 9 Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia